Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Cracked Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Let's get right to it. We have an informative, spirited, and in my opinion, timely conversation for all of you listeners today, as I had the opportunity to sit down with ITA CEO Tim Russell to discuss everything that has happened here in the 2021 college tennis season. And folks, I mean this sincerely, no topic was out of bounds. And of course, I'm going to sprinkle sugar on all of our guests because that's just what I do, but a huge shout out to Tim for taking the time to be candid, to be forthright, to push back to the criticisms that, you know, he was willing to take and that I lobbied at him throughout the course of this interview. And again, all of the things you're thinking of, the rankings, the selection processes for both teams and individuals, we discussed it all. Uh, It is a fantastic conversation, one of those conversations that proves you can disagree without being disagreeable. And again, a huge thank you for to, uh, to Tim. I think I told him 30 minutes. We ended up going here 44. 45 for answering all of my questions for the patience he showed. Uh, certainly, I think there were times, because I repeat myself a little bit always, that he was getting a little bit uh, sick of that. But nevertheless, you know, again, his patience and again, his candidness and the fact that he treats us as an equal here, the fact that he's not looking down on us, the fact that he's not, you know, belittling what we're doing here at Crack Rackets. He knows our questions come from a place of passion and he matches that passion. He wants to answer all of your questions. So again, even when we disagree, uh, I think that is what makes this podcast particularly enjoyable, and I know all of you listeners will certainly enjoy listening to this episode. Of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind and without further ado, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Tim Russell.
Joining us on the podcast today is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. You may know him as the master of all Latin phrases. I know him as my friend ITA CEO, Tim Russell. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? Always a pleasure to be with you. It is always a pleasure to speak to you as well, and I can only imagine how busy you must be. So on behalf of, obviously, us here at Crack Rackets, all the college tennis fans, thank you for taking the time to chat today. Uh, you know, let's get right into it. It is postseason play, and this has obviously been a season unlike any other. Let's just start there. How are you feeling? How's the ITA team feeling? I imagine it's high stress, but now the fun starts, right? Well, I think we all uh, live for college tennis. So we have been celebrating the fact that through the end of a global pandemic, we've been playing tennis. We've been playing at a high level and we're getting ready for uh, an NCAA Division I championship with amazing matches getting ready to start this weekend. So we're fired up. I'm incredibly uh, thankful for the tireless work of our ITA staff, but uh, the fact is our mantra since I took over has been that we're here to serve college tennis and return the leaders of tomorrow. And that is no different at the end of a pandemic. And uh, the fact that we're playing tennis is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And a shout out to all of the Corys, all of the Cody's, Caroline, the entire team. I know I'm missing names. They all deserve individual shout outs. Um, But of course, you talk about getting to postseason play. I feel like it is fair to start and say this was something that was very much in doubt, right? As recently as perhaps the start of January, there was no certainty that we were going to get to this portion of the postseason. So I know it's a broader question, but are you surprised we got to this point? You know, what allows us as college tennis fans to get from all of that doubt to now postseason play and enjoying it? Give us the look behind the scenes. Yeah, wonderful question. And I would say it's based on the hard work and commitment of lots of people. Uh, just a little bit of history. I think you'll remember that when the pandemic was just getting rolling over a year ago, the ITA was actually the first sport governing body and obviously the first tennis governing body that actually brought uh, competition back and that was with our ITA summer circuit and we did that in partnership with uh, our colleagues at UTR and when the fall did not happen as usual with our regionals uh, through all divisions and a reminder that uh, that our uh, NAIA uh, colleagues uh, did play throughout the fall and our uh, ITA Cup was able uh, uh, to, to feature them, but uh, we also had our ITA fall and winter circuits, and we also worked really hard to make sure we could have our kickoff weekend and our uh, team indoor championships. We were very excited that both the men and women on the D1 front and the D2 front happened. Uh, D3 has been a little more cautious throughout the entire pandemic. So those were two of our ITA national championships that did not happen. But when you ask, was I surprised we were playing? Uh, I would say once we got to that point, not really. And uh, how did we get here? We got here through the work of uh, a lot of medical folks, uh, folks like Dr. Brian Hainline, uh, the chief medical officer of the NCAA colleagues like Mark Kovacs, Dr. Kovacs, who's been a great sports scientist, 
now works with the NBA and the Cleveland Cavaliers, has been a wonderful friend and advisor uh, to the ITA. And when we realized that we got through playing in the summer and the fall and our team indoors, I was pretty confident we were going to keep going. And obviously, incredible work by lots of conferences, by ADs, by schools, uh, testing protocols uh, and the like. So the fact that we're here is a product of a, a lot of hard work by a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Coaches, players, athletic staffs, everyone from top to bottom deserves credit for getting us here. And now that we're at the postseason, I want to start there because, you know, a bit of a format change the past, uh, I guess, 2019, uh, we you know, and 2018, I think as well, there was the super, uh, you know, the super regional, the round of 16 match that the top eight seeds got to host. And, you know, this year there was the decision to scrap that, to have one round of super round of 16 site happening in Orlando, of course, at at the USTA National Campus, and for our listeners who have never had the chance to travel to that campus, perhaps no place in the country is better suited to host an event of this scale, given the amount of courts, given just the ample space for all of these teams to exist in one uh, facility. But, you know, I guess with that preface, was that the reason going to Orlando, going the round, expanding so that the round of 16 is all in one site? What led to that decision? So, again, a reminder to your listeners, not that they need reminding, but the NCAA (laughs) runs its tournament. So the ITA obviously runs a lot of our events, including our fall national championships and the like. But the ITA does not run the NCAA tournament. So that was a decision made by uh, the NCAA. And just a little bit of history Uh, a reminder that the idea of 16 men's and women's teams coming to one site is actually what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And just a reminder about the super regionals, uh, you know, the idea was that when 16 teams often come to the final site, you often have a Monday morning match at nine o'clock, for example, and maybe nobody's in attendance. And the super regional, I think, was very well received two years ago. You could have two highly ranked teams playing in front of 1,500 people. So, uh, you know, the history was from 16 to the Super Regional, but I think clearly if you look at what the NCAA did with the uh, basketball tournament, they tried to create uh, a bubble, and uh, I think they realized that that was a strategy that worked for them, and our friends and colleagues at the USTA, including uh, Tim Cass and Alyssa Hill, have worked really hard to create the, the bubble. Getting back to Dr. Hainline, I cannot speak highly enough of, of Brian Hainline. I think a lot of people might know he's actually been one of the ITA Achievement Award winners. Our highest award goes to people who have gone on to achieve great things in life, and certainly Dr. Hainline has. And I think the idea is to always keep first and foremost the health and safety and welfare of our our student athletes and when the ncaa realized they could do this for basketball i think they decided given the size and scope of the uh, facility in lake nona at the national campus to do that again and it's caused a lot of work uh, for the staff at the uh, usda and i'm confident they're going to pull it off in fine fashion 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I do appreciate you sharing that history because, of course, some of as a fan from afar, you know, watching that 9 a.m. match and then getting to watch tennis until 2 a.m. potentially during those round of 16 days. uh, That's part of the fun of being a college tennis fan. Certainly. It was funny. Initially, I was not a fan of the Super Regional. And then I watched the tennis and the idea of getting home crowds for any extra matches in college tennis is something I have fallen in love with. So I've become very much in favor of the Super Regional site. I also like the idea of chasing top eight seeds. That's a discussion for another time. We could, you know, we could save that for a different podcast. But to your question, and again, to our listeners, uh, I have very much encouraged him to push back at me because as our listeners know, I'm 25 years old. I'm a smart aleck. I think I'm much smarter than I actually am. I don't know what I don't know. Uh, What I don't know, and I understand it's the NCAA tournament. It will be the NCAA decision. The sentiment and response would be, Well, you guys are the ITA. You are the governing body of college tennis. And certainly, there's no doubt you were in consultation in that decision and helping to, you know, explain why round of 16 would work, would not work. But why is that not an ITA decision? I I, Like, you know, again, you're the ITA. Shouldn't that be an ITA decision? So, again, we're the governing body of college tennis, and they're the governing body of, of college sports. And I think an apt analogy might be that the NCAA runs the, uh, the March Madness, uh, but the college playoff series is run by a different organization. You could argue that the USTA runs the US Open and the LTA runs Wimbledon. And certainly there's a Grand Slam committee uh, where the four Grand Slams consult, but each of them have their own uh, autonomy. We are uh, one of the only sports where the NCAA does use our our rules. And I think everybody knows that the rules of college tennis can be uh, tricky. And certainly, historically, they've also used our rankings, which I know you'll want to talk about. But it is their tournament. They get to run their tournament. And uh, that's just how the world of running tournaments goes. I mean, uh, you are running a level one tournament. The uh, USTA has certain uh, parameters. You probably have certain things you can do, but you're running it within the parameters of a USTA event. And so we're great partners with the NCAA. We're always consulting with them, as you mentioned. A guy like Corey Brooks is on with them regularly, certainly has been through the last uh, number of months getting ready for uh, this time of the year. Uh, but ultimately, for example, when the NCAA Division I Tennis Committee gets in the room, they get to make their uh, their final selections, whether it's teams that were put out yesterday or the uh, individual singles and doubles, which I believe are getting posted right around now. Yeah, and uh, credit, by the way, I, I forgot to mention two names. They might be the two people most likely to listen to this podcast. So two, Bruce Washuk, Dave Mullins. Hello, friends. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, they also, you're absolutely right. I know how deeply you guys are in consultation, you know, uh, trying to help ensure fair play, ensure a competitive season, ensure we as fans get the college tennis and the athletes, the players as well, that we all deserve. And yes, I did set a trap for you, Tim, so that you would use the R word rankings. Um, And because you talk about in consultation and selection of the field and traditionally our listeners are aware of this, but just to, you know, repremise traditionally the ITA rankings are the guiding uh, drive for selecting not only the top 16 seeds, but for selecting the NCAA tournament field. And 
traditionally the computer rankings are as accurate as they come because when you play a full season there's a large enough sample size everyone plays everyone by the end of the season when you're factoring in the nine or ten best wins and you know there's been a broad non-conference sample size to select from uh, you know the the seating becomes pretty clear now, obviously, this season, things were a bit different, and in particular, we can name names. The Big Ten Conference threw a wrench into everything by being the one conference that, you know, of the Power Five that said, we are not playing non-conference matches outside of the kickoff weekend. And as such, uh, you know, the rankings are going to disproportionately affect those Big Ten schools, those Big Ten players who just didn't have the opportunity to earn as many ranked wins as other programs. And I know that was a large preface to get to a question, but, you know, given there is an NCAA selection committee, given that committee exists in its own vacuum, right there, and I, I don't know if there is an ITA presence or not, you can let me know, I guess with this year's decision specifically, I, 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 or I guess let's just start with that selection committee. It, traditionally, it is the rankings, right? It is the ITA rankings. You guys submit them, and I'm sure with other metrics as well, but that is traditionally what drives the selection for the field, correct? So, so there was a lot to unpack. Yes, and, I uh, apologize. And, and I'm getting a little bit older, so I want to see if I can remember the beginning of your question, <laughs> which actually either. prefaced that historically uh, the ITA rankings have been a large uh, driver of, of selection and seeding. And I would say that obviously, historically, they have been. And if people looked at the two selection shows yesterday, they would actually know that they, they still were. Uh, and then if we move to the second part of your uh, question, which uh, referenced the Big Ten Conference, you gave a very good statement. Uh, in terms of the Big Ten's decision, I would say, as somebody who's consulted with them a lot, that they made their best faith, good faith decision based on, again, as I referenced earlier in my conversation, you know, the health and welfare safety of their student athletes. I would suggest that, you know, they had the same information that the SEC, the ACC, the AAC, et cetera, but they made a different uh, you know, decision. So, in fact, our algorithm, as you very accurately uh, described, uh, was uh, developed, you know, with a, a national schedule in mind, with much non-conference play in mind. A few other things about the Big Ten's decisions for the real aficionados of, of college tennis, you might realize that they didn't just decide to play conference only, but even within their East and West division. So they really didn't even give all of their teams a chance to compete against each other. So that was also uh, a challenge. Uh, as you look at the differences between the men's and the women's side of our sport, there were a number of the women's teams in the Big Ten who did make it through the kickoff weekend to the uh, D1 women's team indoors. And obviously they had more opportunities than, for example, some of the uh, usual powerhouses in the Big Ten who did not make it through the kickoff weekend uh, to the, to the indoors. So I think everybody can realize uh, what that did to the algorithm. I think everybody needs to recognize that an algorithm is just that, it's a formula. So the match results go in and the algorithm calculates uh, you know, the, the results. Uh, to the third part of your question, which is regarding 
you know, th this year and how it might be different. Uh, just a little background for people who follow the ITA. We obviously are a coach uh, governance-led organization. So we not only have a D1 men's and women's operating committee, we have division one ranking committee. So we were in consultation with them throughout the process and full disclosure, as you can imagine, we have coaches that have, you know, differing opinions. All of that said, I'm very, very proud of the work that the ITA staff did and the work that we did to provide a number of data points uh, to the uh, NCAA committee in addition to our own uh, algorithm. Uh, we worked uh, to actually put those uh, match results through a number of different accepted sports algorithms. But I think if everybody goes through our uh, rankings and looks at the selection show yesterday, they will see that the NCAA Tennis Committee, which does have more latitude than people think, uh, they actually pretty much went down uh, the ITA rankings and then worked their best to account for uh, for Big Ten teams. I think it's important to say that if the ITA rankings were the only uh, uh, data point that the NCAA used, they wouldn't even need the selection committee. So I think it is important for people to know that even in non-pandemic years, it's much like the basketball uh, tournament where you get to the bottom and there's often coaches and players and teams and fans who are following who they think will be the last teams in and the first teams out, uh, etc. And the last thing I'd say, Alex, is people should not feel that tennis was the only sport that was dealing with this at the NCAA. If you go on Google and you look up, for example, college hockey news, NCAA hockey tournament, the uh, hockey people use an algorithm called pairwise, and they've used it for about 20 years, and they had to make certain uh, changes to their selection process in the same way that, uh, that tennis did. So those great fans and followers of college tennis should not feel that uh, college tennis was the only NCAA sport that was having to deal with uh, uh, the impacts of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. No, and I appreciate you answering each part of those questions. First of all, I do think you actually hit all of them. So congratulations. You say your memory is slipping up. I don't think that's true. I will try to go point by point here and we'll, again, start at the beginning. I did look at the selection show. You know, I watched the selection show. I did look at the draw, as you know, and the first thing that popped out, and, you know, this is where I'll interject some of my own personal commentary here. The moment I saw the Michigan women weren't seated, I was like, all right, it's not happening for the men. That's cool. Um, but, again, that's just a personal thing. Uh, but in terms of the selection committee, they did use the ITA rankings as their guiding point, as their central data point. And you talk about it, I know publicly there are things like Macy ratings that are available. I know that was thrown into the mix. I know there are some other metrics as well that are out there, you know, some ELO metric type things. I know our Crack Rackets fans know that ELO rating more than anything. Um, but, you know, they did end up using the ITA rankings. And it was maybe three, four, uh, four weeks ago that the ITA released a statement acknowledging, like, look, we hear the frustration, and how could you not? I feel like 90% of the frustration you heard, by the way, was my podcast. I apologize for that. I say it at the beginning of all of them. The hard work you guys did is the backbone of this season. It doesn't happen without you guys. You know, again, I was at the National Indoors, executed to perfection. That's enough butter. Let's get back to the question. So the ITA rankings are the guiding point for the selection show. 
three or four weeks ago, you guys publicly acknowledged there are flaws in the rankings, and we are going to have to incorporate manual adjustments to ensure that there is some competitive balance. Well, you look at the NCAA field, you... I could justifiably argue, in my opinion, you look at Ohio State at Wake Forest and you know some of the placements, that's the most notable one, obviously, that be- Illinois as a number 16 seed when they won the Big Ten, their only losses are to three top 10 teams, or I guess not Ohio State, but you know that said, that manual adjustments weren't really made, that they stuck to a pretty formulaic computer-based ranking, and that as such, the field is imbalanced competitively. How would you respond to that? Yeah, so let me take a shot. Uh, first of all, uh, again, I'll push back just a little bit at your invitation. I don't think we okay. ever said we were going to make manual adjustments to our rankings. One of the things that I've told our coaches, we've talked about on our ranking committees, is we haven't changed any of the ITA rules this year. Actually, much to people's chagrin when some of the Big Ten teams would slide down in the rankings or you found mm-hmm. – you know, the poster child for singles and doubles being Cannon Kingsley started the year at five and kept falling in the ITA yeah. rankings, even though he was undefeated. But we actually never said, Alex, we were going to make manual adjustments. And, and actually, we didn't. So now to the NCAA tournament, the reality is one of the things I've said to the NCAA, and if you saw their their two releases, they put out one to our coaches a week ago, and then they kind of did a clarification. Uh, the, the reality uh, is that their goal, I think, is to try to put the best teams in the tournament. We can all sit around and argue about, you know, seedings and home court advantage and the like, but the reality is once you get in the tournament, you've got to play the matches. So let's uh, talk specific since you've brought them up. So mm-hmm. Michigan men, a terrific team, They're in the tournament. Uh, That's a good thing. So now they go to Kentucky. They play Arizona, a terrific team. If they beat Arizona, they could play Kentucky, another great team. You know, they end up, if they do both of those things, going to Orlando. You know, if they're a host and somebody comes in and beats them, they're not in Orlando. You gave Ohio State as an example obviously uh, a great team as a tennis junkie i spent four hours on the live stream watching the illinois ohio state match (laughs) you know the other day an incredible college tennis match so if we walk through ohio state one of the great teams over the last two decades great coach with ty tucker always well prepared always in the mix they lost to virginia in the kickoff weekend so they didn't make it and they end up you know losing to illinois in a great college match and one of the things i've said about the draw and i've said this to the ncaa is one of the challenges if they choose and this is a choice they make not to seed for example ohio state which they could have then if you talk about the integrity of the draw then all of a sudden you have ohio state going to Wake Forest. So one of the things I pointed out to the NCAA, if you're somebody who's an old time tennis fan like me and you read the old friend at court, they used to define seeding as people's best guess as to who would win a tournament. So the committee, not the ITA, the NCAA committee decided to pretty much go down the rankings with few exceptions. So they put 
Michigan in, Ohio State's not seeded, Illinois is 16, but take Ohio State, they're going to go down, they're going to play a very good VCU team, they're going to have a rematch of the NCAA championship with Wake Forest, if Wake wins and Ohio State wins, and in the end, you know, you got to throw up the balls and play the matches. I keep going back, Alex, to the fact that we are celebrating that we're playing college tennis. A lot of people want it to be exactly like it's been for the last number of years. I'm really, really confident that, you know, the best teams have made the tournament. I'm confident the NCAA committee's done their best work. I know that whether we're looking at March Madness or college tennis, there's always some people disgruntled. The take Big Ten basketball, for example, there were a bunch of people who thought that, you know, the Big Ten was going to have a bunch of people in the final four. Uh, you know, I watched Ohio State, Purdue, and others lose early on in the tournament. That's just called sports. We're in a very different, you know, different year. We all knew it was going to be messy a while ago. You asked a great question about whether we thought this would even happen. I'm glad it's happened, you know, and I'm thrilled there's going to be a tournament. Is it perfect? Probably not, but I think everybody's made their best faith effort. And I tell you, there's going to be a bunch of great matches this weekend. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And again, tennis is not the only sport that struggled amidst the pandemic. Everyone struggled. And the fact that we have gotten to this point of the season, the fact that we got through conference play, conference tournaments, the indoor championships, kickoff weekend, everything relatively unscathed is, again, a testament to the work you've done. I'm going to stop prefacing hard questions with compliments because I think you know how I feel. And I would echo every sentiment you had. And I don't want to just keep harping on this point and beat a dead horse because you're right. There was always going to be imperfection. But I have the April 6th statement in front of me, and I just, again, to read something, the ITA has decided to pause the publishing of ITA computer singles and doubles rankings for the week of April 5th as our staff and coach governance committees continue to review the best path forward for providing coaches, players, and fans the most accurate collegiate singles and doubles rankings. More information will follow as it becomes available. My pushback here would be more information never came. And I know, you know, Cannon Kingsley, he ends up getting into the field. Kovacevic ended up getting into the field. Those singles uh, fields have come out. And, you know, certainly does seeding ultimately matter in the end? No, because if you're the best player, you should emerge as champion. You're going to have to go through everyone. Of course, I acknowledge that. But, you know, again, in this statement, it also says, you know, all of the factors mentioned uh, above have placed a considerable amount of pressure on the rankings algorithm. For example, in certain conferences and geographic regions, singles and players, uh, uh, singles players and doubles teams find themselves competing within bubbles or pods where ranked win opportunities are few and far between. So you guys diagnose the issue. You guys are aware of the issue. You talk about the issue. And I know it's an NCAA selection committee, and ultimately the buck does lie with them. But... uh, you you know you said you guys didn't change the rules uh, isn't this the time like it wouldn't this be the year 2021 now more than ever to say you know what we're incorporating manual adjustments i like you're wrong or to just say at the beginning you know what we're going to be very very clear the algorithm's going to be tough we're sorry that's just the realistic uh, the realization of this season like i feel like there was a little bit of waffling and just again that's where the frustration comes from so let me let me try to go clearly because yeah, read, I apologize. You read, you read the sentence to me, but you didn't read the release. Nowhere in the release did you say what you said earlier that we were going to make manual adjustments. You're so correct, let me talk and about, I realized that you were correct, and I was wrong, and I apologize. So, for let, that. so let me just talk briefly about the pause. One okay. of my favorite articles is called "Solitary Leadership," 
and we all think about leaders as people who do things, the article's premise is that sometimes you need to think a lot before you act. So we took a pause to do a lot of uh, reflection. And that's when we were meeting with our various ranking committees and operating uh, committees. Uh, if you wanna make the point that it said more information would be forthcoming, I don't wanna necessarily go tit for tat, but I think if sure. you were to go through the various releases that follow the next couple of weeks, we didn't do our usual uh, Katarina moved up two spots and uh, Estella moved down. We tried to give extra information. It might not have been as much as you and others would have liked, but you're actually somebody who pays far much more <laughs> attention than almost anybody. I can tell you that the ITA functioned in really uh, good uh, faith. So to your point about, hey, would this be the year to make adjustments, back to the point about solitary leadership, you know, one of the things you don't want to do is make snap decisions that actually could have unintended consequences. Great leaders, I think, try to sit around and find what the intended consequences are, but even better leaders try to think about the unintended consequences. So, you know, there were a lot of people, Alex, that made their decisions that might have been different than the Big Ten, for example. The SEC allowed its players to compete in the fall. Uh, the SEC had teams playing, you know, non-conference matches. So I don't think it was the ITA's position then to go, we're going to try to figure out something that really accounts for decisions that one conference made. In the end, when you look at the whole you know, decision tree, you, you keep coming back to what I've reminded you, which is it's the NCAA's decision. So our thought process was to give them as much guidance, as much input, input as many data points as, as possible. But I think you would have experienced a bunch of chaos if we had just started either changing algorithms, changing the rules. I had a bunch of coaches, even when we published the coaches poll, Alex, calling me going, why are you changing the ITA rules? And it's like, we never changed a rule. You know, the NCAA knew that we started with a coach's poll and they asked us if we could continue to use that coach's poll. So we did, and we ended up deciding to publish it in the spirit of transparency. If we had sent it to the NCAA and not published it, people would have said we were not forthcoming. You know, there's another component to the NCAA that listeners might want to familiarize themselves. It's not even just the NCAA Division I Tennis Committee. There's a group called the Competition Oversight Committee, and they make general rules for the, uh, for the sports championship. And all of a sudden, you know, they went and asked if they could get uh, permission to use a coach's poll, and the Competition Oversight Committee actually denied that because they said it was subjective. So to your point, if the ITA had just decided we were starting to change all the rules, we're a governance organization that has 1,200 schools and 1,700 teams. You can imagine what would happen with very little thought, very little study if we just decided on the fly you know, that we were going to start changing the rules. So I feel really good about how we did things. I feel really good about the work our staff did, our governance group did. I feel really good about the data points we gave to the uh, NCAA. I feel really good that the Big Ten is represented. 
I'm feeling very, you know, confident that great tournament competitions happening this weekend. I think everybody knows that hindsight is 2020. And, you know, sometimes it's easier to be the armchair quarterback than uh, in the huddle and on the field making the decisions. But I, you know, stand really strongly behind the work the ITA did and uh, the outcomes that we've received. Yeah, well, first of all, as you know, no one looks better in an armchair than me, so it's not a surprise to, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that that's what I do best. But um, in terms of, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and ultimately, Michigan, Northwestern, get in. Uh, would I have loved to see, you know, again, I'm, I, I, it's very easy to point the finger and say, why not this? Why not this? I'm trying to come at you with solutions. You know, I, and again, I, I'm, I'm sick of beating a dead horse because eventually, you're right, you do have to move on. The decisions have been made. But there are some obvious ones, right? And again, it comes down to you guys are the governing body, and I, I agree with you. I think no one is more measured in their decisions than you, and the amount of thought you put into each decision is ultimately why those decisions can turn out to be successful. That being said, there are some simple ones, right? Like how about – because I fill out a USTA ballot. I know how difficult, how laborious it is to try and vote for the top 25 teams, let alone the top 50, try and pick a 64 field but the top 16, the host sites, like I, because you guys are the ITA, and I guess my answer is why not make this decision? Why not change the rule for this if ultimately, because I'm sure you considered it, right, of we're going to select the top 16 seeds because we know in Ohio State, as you mentioned, and I'm sure you fought for them and emphasized this to the selection committee, we know Ohio State belongs in the top 16. We think we can agree on who the top 16 are, and then we'll let the computers do the rest. Like that just seems like a, a simple fix, and I, I know there were meetings where those sorts of adjustments were discussed. I guess ultimately, hold my on, final hold question on, would be: I, yeah. I've tried not to interrupt, but this sorry, time I, sorry, please, so, please. So, well, so so first of all, we don't get to decide who the top sixteen seeds are at the NCAA. They do that. So if you're suggesting, no, but, but hold, on, hold on, hold okay, on, Alex. You're right, you're right. I apologize. That's all right. If you're suggesting that we should just place the top 16 teams, you know, this is kind of a circular, you know, argument uh, where you, you, you contend that why don't we change the rules? And I suggested we weren't going to change the rules. So what I did, because I'm trying to be transparent with coaches, of course. whether whether Ty Tucker calls me or, or Adam Steinberg calls me or any coach calls me, I always try to shoot, you know, straight with them and these Absolutely. are people who are out there passionately doing their job advocating for their teams and for their their players it's just back to the roles and responsibilities you know it, again it's the it's the one where even though it's fun for you to change the premise we're not the ncaa so we gave <laughs> sure. them you know the stuff and just to be clear in my opinion this is tim russell speaking and, and i've already yeah. said that i believe the committee made their best good faith effort. I think everybody recognizes they could have chosen the 16 seeds if they had wanted to do that. They chose, and I've not spoken to them. I was not in the room. want to be perfectly transparent. You know, they chose a very conservative path. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and but but just so the listeners know, if they had you know wanted with all you blogsters to go, okay, the big debate <laughs> is Ohio State is eight or nine, and we all know that. You know, you guys were surprised as anybody when Illinois was sixteen and Ohio State was going to Wake Forest, but mm -hmm. that is not a decision where the ITA 
can just do that. Now, to your point about the USTA poll, uh, you know, I discuss that with my friends and colleagues at the USTA all the time. I am not completely convinced that every person who's voting spends as much time as maybe you do or Shannon Ray running stuff through his, his algorithm. You know, so to be very clear, the USTA has a poll, that's great, but the NCAA, as I just referenced from the Competition Oversight Committee, does not use subjective polls. The other kind of thing that they can't really use, for example, are things like UTR Power 6 ratings. The reality is the NCAA rules, maybe everybody doesn't know this, require in singles, for example, that they only use college matches where college players play college players in college-sanctioned matches. So you take UTR where Cannon Kingsley and William Blumberg are out playing pro circuit events and that's integrated into UTR. That's not how the NCAA constitutes play by collegiate players. So there's a lot of intricacies that some people might not be, uh, you know, aware yeah. of. And, you know, if, if you want to contend that the USTA poll always gets the top six or seven oh. right, that's fine. I've argued, you know, take Michigan again, for example, and yeah. I think they're a great team and Adams, one of our greatest coaches, but you know, a lot of people just kept hanging high based on early polls. So everybody stays up there. You know, if you're sure. if you're voted there early, you stay there. You know, that's why we ultimately toss the balls up and play the matches. I mean, that's why these Ohio State Michigan discussions are so important because the matches that are going to happen in Lexington and Winston Salem are going to show who the teams are. That's what's going to happen this weekend. No, that's fair. And again, I. The premise that the I, I'm, I, that I apologize for keep going back to that premise. Here's why I keep going back to it, though. And we said this at the top, and you even acknowledged it. The ITA rankings were the driving force for this selection, and historically, they have always been the driving force. And we talk about the difficulties. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be candid here. Unless you are willing to devote the amount of time that myself, that Shannon, Chris Halioris, Matt Stokowiak are. Like, you're right. You're not going to get that decision, right? And part of this does come down to laziness. Like, I am sorry to use that word, but it's very hard to do that. It takes much more time than this selection committee is going to spend to pick 64 teams by hand. And so with that in mind, of course, they were always going to turn back to what is the best metric to guide things, as they always have historically, the ITA rankings. Knowing that as it is, I guess it comes down to, isn't it... The responsibility of the ITA, I apologize, it's a little stronger. I'm making, you know, a little hyperbole here for the listeners. Isn't it, doesn't it, is it the ITA's role in a season like this with competitive imbalances existing as they are, knowing that the ITA rankings are perennially the driving force for the selection committee to make a manual adjustment during the season, even if it's the coaches committee that does it, like it's the panel of coaches that serve on the ITA. Don't you guys have to do that this year? Like, yeah, I guess so, why not? So, 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 Alex, you're you're going to keep, you know, beating this horse, and that's well. Fine. It's just because they. It's just because oh, they oh, use oh, the oh. rankings for the metrics. That's yeah, why. But, but hold on, if we go back, you can listen to your podcast. I think I've already suggested, and <laughs> I'm true. really confident that the top teams are in the tournament. Now, if we want to haggle, because you guys know this better than anybody, who the last teams were in or out, those are the ones that are always tough. I will suggest to you that those decisions have been tough as long as I followed college tennis. My son was on a 
college team at William and Mary that would have been considered a bubble team that had a win over the number one team at the time at BCU had mm -hmm. beaten North Carolina in a year where North Carolina snuck in. I'm pointing out to you that these are not new issues just because okay. it's a, a, a pandemic. The same thing happened in the basketball as to who came in. It's one of the reasons in this year we probably had a lot of 12 seeds winning in, in, in the basketball tur tournament. And so, you know, I reject the premise that we should have made these manual uh, adjustments because my belief philosophically is if the best 64 teams are in, we're going to throw up the balls okay. and you're going to have to win all the matches to be crowned the national champion. We can then argue about, yeah, it would have been easier if I was playing at home or on the road. I keep going back, Alex, to where I started, and I'll probably have to finish there. I am celebrating yeah. that we're playing college tennis and we're having an NCAA tournament. I love the fact that you're passionate about arguing about this as if it's uh, a Life or death. pandemic year. <laughs> it is a pandemic year that all of yeah. us knew to your other really fine question, were we even sure this was going to happen? You know, back a year ago, no, the fact that we're having it and even arguing as if it's a regular year is exciting, you know, to me. And I wish all of the teams, you know, good good luck. And I hope every match is, is super exciting. Absolutely. And again, why I am such a fan of yours is we can disagree without being disagreeable. And I am so grateful that you took the time to address this. And to your point... I think that's a perfect place to end that discussion. <laughs> this, the final 64, we got the six, you know, Utah, uh, SMU, Auburn. Yeah, they were on the margins, but those decisions always happen. Ultimately, if you're the best team, you're going to have to emerge as champion. Now, I do just one fun question on you because you're right. It's postseason time. Now the play gets really exciting. My last thing for you, a, a big decision coming into the year, granting these seniors an additional year of eligibility. Just from a competitive standpoint, because I know you are secretly as big of a college tennis nerd as anyone out there, how outstanding has the tennis been this season? And I feel like for the first time, particularly on the men's side, the women's side, North Carolina, Texas, Pepper, they're all so good. But on the men's side, it does feel like 13 teams could win the national championship, maybe even more. Yeah, the parody is incredible. Uh, to be quite candid, because I think I said this on a few podcasts last year, I quite honestly, uh, as an educator, was not a fan of granting everybody the extra year. Once it happened, I'm the kind of person who aligns behind a, a decision, and it's just been amazing for our, for our sport. There have probably been a few downsides for some of the entering students who didn't get to play as much as they wanted, but you know, life isn't always uh, completely fair as we've just talked about on the larger front, but the competition that we've had is spectacular. I mean, you and I, you know, we're in, uh, in, in Stillwater, we, we've watched the North Carolinas and the Texas on the women's side, and we've mm -hmm. watched, uh, you know, all these men's teams that we've focused most of our attention talking about the, you know, yes. the, the men's draft. But the level of competition is astonishing, and I am a complete college tennis junkie and will be glued uh, this weekend to seeing uh, how the matches are going. 
Yeah, it's crazy that because Northwestern and Ohio State both made the indoors, it's like one mathematical data point made that big of a difference between the men's and the women's field. Where yeah, there's some griping over the women's field, but it's not. It doesn't feel nearly as pronounced. That is, that's again, that's a thought for perhaps another time. But again, I have taken up enough of your time, Tim. Sincerely, I am so grateful that you took the time to chat with us today. I appreciate your candidness. I apologize for my badgering. That's just what I do best. That's what I do best. Hey, I've got uh, I've got thick skin, and I always feel from a transparency, candid uh, perspective that we should have to try to at least describe to people, you know, how we're making decisions. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit association serving 1,250 uh, schools and and 17. 17- hundred teams and 3,000 coaches and 20,000 student athletes, and they should expect that their leaders can describe for them how they're making important decisions that are impacting lives. So I'm delighted to be here. Always a pleasure, my friend. Can I try and sneak a national championship peck out of you? Do you want to make a prediction or no predictions? I have been steadfast (laughs) since I've become the CEO (laughs) not to root for people uh, you know so i am not going to uh, you know where barack obama might have filled out a bracket uh, i am the ceo of the ita and i will just be following with great interest but you will get no pick from me today amen i'm only allowed to pick michigan because they're my home school so everyone seems they're like, they're like that's acceptable so i'm like okay that's all i'm gonna pick but of course tim thank you so much for taking the time i mentioned to this to you off mic but you know a lot of people in the college center for universe right now have you and your family in our thoughts and prayers so obviously great to speak with you and you know don't be a stranger well we're happy to have you again in the future all right be well my friend yep take care Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with ITA CEO Tim Russell. A huge shout out to Tim for taking the time to come and speak with us. Again, as college tennis fans, all we can ask is that when a decision is made, those decision makers come and speak to us. And that's exactly what Tim did on today's podcast. He justified all the decisions he made and he was willing to have a candid conversation even when we disagreed. So a huge shout out again and thank you to him, you know, uh, Bruce Bashuk, Dave Mullins, the Corys, the Cody's, Caroline everyone on the ITA staff who helped make this 2021 college tennis season and every college tennis season possible. Of course, there's a lot happening in the college tennis world and across the globe. And of course, if you have missed out on any of the action happening throughout the tennis world, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. From a college tennis standpoint, Matt Stokowiak, Chris Alioris, hopefully Colette Lewis, going to be joining me for various preview podcasts to prepare all of you for the 2021 NCAA tournament. Of course, we are so fortunate that we are going to be joined by Riley Smith, USC senior on the Cracked Interviews podcast later this week as well to talk about his Trojans heading down the home stretch. And, you know, again, Maddie, Chris, and I, we're going to have you covered. We're going to be covering it all on our website, crackedrackets.com. So be sure to check it all out there if you need uh, more immediate coverage. Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shop Pod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Flager and Daniel Westoff, for the of any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. And again, so much college 
content coming down the pipeline. We hope all of you Cracked Rackets fans are as excited for the 2021 postseason as we are. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, ITA CEO Tim Russell, for our super producers, Max Fliegler and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.